Our text this morning is John 3, 1 through 21, looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, And the people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would understand the weightiness of this passage, that it has eternal significance, that not just a simple passage we should read over and and know, oh yeah, born again. That's simple. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict us of our sin and that we can do nothing apart from you. Pray for myself that you'd speak through me. Your words would impact people's lives, transform them by your power. 
for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can remember, um, I preached back in uh, probably September now. It's been a while, so I can't hardly remember what I preached on, but it was on Colossians 1, uh, 13 was one of the main passages I preached on. And the text reads, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. If you remember that. So I, I give this illustration where, okay, yeah, so you're either in the dominion of darkness or you're in the dominion, um, sorry, the dominion of darkness or the kingdom of His beloved Son. So how does that transfer? How does that happen? Something that you do? Or something that God does? That's really the question. At hand. So there's two main views. Let me put my glasses on so I can see. That's ironic. So two main views of this would be either prevenient grace or irresistible grace is what they've been coined in the in the past. So prevenient grace. Uh, Roger Olson's uh, theologian, probably one of the most outspoken uh, of this of this uh, ideology. It says, prevenient grace is the illuminating, convicting, calling, enabling power of the Holy Spirit working on the sinner's soul and making them free to choose saving grace or reject it. He goes on to say, so in Armenian theology, so this is really what uh, Joseph Armenian, usually what this comes from, a partial regeneration does precede conversion, but it is not a complete regeneration. It is an awakening and enabling, but not an irresistible force. Prevenient grace is God's powerful attracting and persuading power that actually imparts free will to be saved or not. Another view would be irresistible grace, and I feel like John, the passage that we're going to go through today, would clearly uh, contradict that that view and uh, would be a more biblical view um, to believe. So in prevenient grace, the idea is the Holy Spirit does a work in you, but you have an option to either accept it or reject it. And then I will show you uh, the biblical view as we go here in this passage. If you don't understand, uh, by the time I'm done, I haven't done a good job of uh, exegeting this passage. So you may ask, well, Garrett, can't we reject Christ? Is that what we're in the Bible, correct? Yes. If you remember in Acts 7, uh, when uh, Stephen is proclaiming the gospel to the crowds, he says in uh, Acts 7.51, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in the heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So yes, it's true. So really the question is, what is our nature? What is our will before we are Christians, before we are saved? What's our nature? What do we act out of? And Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 uh, says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. And we and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So by nature, we are children of wrath. So in the dominion of darkness before one is saved or born again. There's a lot of different illustrations that have been used on this passage over the time. Um, I was trying to think of an animal that uh, prefers dead flesh. The only one I can really think of that really prefers that would be vultures over anything else. 
So just like we are like vultures before we are born again, vultures go after dead flesh, rotting flesh. That's what they enjoy. That's what they like doing. When you're out hiking or something, you see them circling uh, dead carcasses. That's how you know it's there. So if one would be, let's say a vulture was born again, this is an illustration, so go with me here. A vulture would love, let's say, a New York prime steak, fresh steak, right from Kessler's versus dead flesh. So from what they used to love, dead flesh, they would now revolt that. They want to puke it up and now go after the fresh meat. So that's what happens. There's a transformation of nature. So the way God designed vultures to eat dead flesh, not to go after prime meat. To make it more personal, um, in the, the, the Tuesday morning Bible study that we've been going through, we were reading uh, Hosea. And uh, Hosea 1-2 says, When the Lord first spoke uh, through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to, your, go take to your wife, yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So the idea here is the people of Israel uh, were, were forsaking the Lord, worshiping, desiring, going after everything but God, but the Father. So it's not necessarily whoredom we think of sexual morality, but this is talking about uh, spiritual unfaithfulness is what these people were doing. So just as us, before we're born again, all we can do is go after spiritual unfaithfulness, desire anything but that which is of, of God. And we see this again like in Judges 8, 27, all Israel... Uh, prostituted themselves by worshiping anything but God. So we ourselves, apart from being born again, can see nothing except that which um, is sin. We can do nothing in that which is sin. So that's the status of ourself before we are born again. And as you see later in, in John, uh, in our, our main text, John three nineteen through 20 and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Least his works should be exposed. So one, love the darkness rather than the light. So before you're born again, you love darkness. You go after the darkness. You wouldn't want to go to the light because the light would expose your sin. You're afraid of it. And all you do is wicked things. So setting the stage, that's what life is before you're born again, and you're born again, and life changes. And I'll kind of explain to you how that happens. So I think we forgot to put in your, your notes there, but that we do have points for this sermon. Uh, point one would be rebirth produces saving faith. And then uh, point two would be re- rebirth is not from you. And then rejoice if you have saving faith. So the point one, rebirth produces saving faith, would be mainly in text uh, John 3, 3, 5, and 7. And then uh, rebirth is not from you. Point two would be John chapter 3, uh, verses 6 and 8. And then rejoice if, you're, if you have saving faith. The uh, last point would be John three sixteen through 21. So starting from our main text, so... Now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So knowing from this passage, so Nicodemus uh, was not an uneducated man. He was one of great stature and renowned. 
he was a ruler of the Jews, so he was part of the Sanhedrin. He uh, was uh, the teacher. He basically had the Old Testament memorized, Mosaic law. He followed to the T. He thought he was doing well, I'd say, at this point when he came to Jesus. But there's uh, some thought as it goes on here. In verse 2 it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So this educated man definitely knew the law, knew it well. And some would say, why did he come by night? Was it just because he was afraid? No, it was his job to go search after. He saw Jesus as a man. He's doing these miraculous things, saying these miraculous things. He just got done making a wreck of the temple in John 2, saying that this is my father's house. He turned the water to wine, the wedding at Cana. And he just got done saying also that he knew the hearts of man in John 2, the very end there. So I don't think Nicodemus was necessarily scared. That's why he came by night. I think it's using symbolic language here. Um, you can see this later in John as well, where by night means that uh, it's the status of the status of his heart, John's heart. So rabbi, he calls him rabbi. So rabbi is just like teacher. Um, teacher is how that. So, so Nicodemus had much respect for Jesus at this point. You know, you're a teacher from God, so no one, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he didn't say that, well, you must be a prophet. You must be the son of God, but God must be a good, you must be a good teacher. You must be of God. So he didn't really, it's really a statement, but it's really an underlying question that Nicodemus had when he came to him. Who are you? Who are you? So then you go on in John 3. So Nicodemus is wondering, who are you? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus continues, goes back and says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That makes no sense, he said. And Jesus said again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. So you see two things. So truly, truly basically means this is true. Nicodemus is, is being told by Jesus. This is true. Listen to me. This is the truth. You must, to see the kingdom, to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. So Nicodemus seems confused. Um, he shouldn't be. We'll see later in the passage. But in, in verse 4 there, he says, how can a man be born again? What are you talking about, Jesus? What's this mean? How can I get back in my mother's womb and be born again? That makes no sense. Well, what Jesus is referring to uh, is later in, in uh, Ezekiel 36, 25-27, is what Nicodemus should have thought of. He had this memorized. He should have known this. But he was not born again. So if you jump over to Ezekiel 36, 25, real quick. This is foreshadowing um, that which is to come. Uh, it's foreshadowing the new covenant kingdom um, where Jesus will give the Holy Spirit and cleanse the hearts of those who believe. 
So in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Now remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I think it's ironic here. We don't see like you. Jesus, the God, the Father is not saying you will sprinkle clean water on yourself. You will cleanse you. You will give you a new heart. You will put with yourself this within you. You will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. It doesn't say that. What's the main there? I will. I will. It says it six times in that part of the passage. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. So the Father is promising I'm going to do this. It's not something you do, which is a wonderful thing that you should rejoice over if you do believe. So going on in, in verse 6, so Nicodemus just got told twice, you must be born again. And he's like, what do you mean, Jesus? And in verse 6 he says, that's my paraphrase, um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, in verse 6. So when you read this first off, you might think flesh, it's not used the same way as Paul used it. Paul used it as a sinful desires your heart, your old flesh. Uh, here it means... Humans create humans. The flesh creates humans. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So the Spirit can only create spirit. Rebirth. Because we are spiritually born dead. Just like a dead corpse, you bring it in here, it's dead. Nobody can revive it. So we all come to Christ initially dead. Dead in our trespasses. Just like when Jesus... uh, called out Nicodemus. The guy was dead. He's been there for three days. He probably reeked. Come out, Nicodemus. You're alive. I mean, something like that's paraphrased. But that's what he came out. And he came out. I mean, that's what Jesus does. Nicodemus did not come out in his own will. Because nat- naturally, his nature was to die. He did die later. But that's plan. So as you see in, in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my, in, in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51.5. So from conceiving, you're born forth in iniquity. So also going back to Ephesians 2.23, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's why Jesus says in verse 7, do not marvel at this, I tell you, to be born again. This is not shocking news. Nicodemus probably read this many, many times. He should have known this. But he was blind spiritually. So my, myself, um, I've had many uh, experiences in sharing the gospel. I've experienced situations like this myself, and you may have uh, yourself in college. So the first degree I had, and I'm on my third now, but I don't even like school. But uh, my first degree, when I was getting my bachelor's, um, I moved into this fraternity. I was a new believer. Uh, so they have fraternities at Kansas State University, where I was at the time in Manhattan, Kansas. It's basically, if you don't know what that means, everything you probably heard is true. Uh, it's a big house, basically, with 55 guys in it, 20, early 20s. You can imagine what that entails. Um, 
but God used it greatly in my life to transform my life, um, to live even harder after God. Um, I had tons of opportunities to share my faith uh, in that house uh, and also be, uh, see the depravity of mankind also uh, every week, especially on Thursday nights, Friday nights, and Saturday nights was uh, a lot of depravity, um, very shockingly in that heart. But anyways, when I, when I proclaimed the gospel to these people, I could see their hardness of heart. I could see they had no desire, nothing, because they were blind, spiritually blind. They could do nothing. And I knew at the time, I didn't know much about the, the Word, but I thought uh, I was frustrated by that a lot. But now that I know the Scriptures, I know that's not me doing any of this. I share the gospel. God does the work. So you might have uh, situations like this at work. So I have a, a coworker who I've now I've, I've lived here what three and a half years now. I've worked uh, with this one coworker. Uh, he, he's a self-proclaimed atheist and uh, kind of Scientologist uh, thinking. And anyway, so I've proclaimed the gospel to him. Had spiritual conversation with him probably for over three years now. I'm still not a believer. So again, should I be downtrodden on myself? No. Uh, my job is to proclaim the truth. You must be born again. The Holy Spirit's work will, God willing, enlighten him to the truth uh, in the future. So you must not be shocked when uh, those you share the faith, your faith, the faith that you have of God, to that don't believe. Because in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I always think when I hear this, I always think of DC Talk song. Uh, always, they're always quoting um, Billy Graham. You can see the wind, but you can't see the effects of the wind. Right? So I can see the effect of the snow blowing around, but I can't see the wind itself. I, mean, I can create wind, but I can't see the I can't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. So the you, the word wind here can actually be interchanged with spirit. But the way they translate it, wind makes more sense because that's an analogy that John's making here. So the wind blows where it wishes, and then you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it's with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So just as the wind blows where it will, the Spirit itself will go as it wills um, and transform those who as God has predestined. And then Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He's still not catching on. So Jesus answered back in 10, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Just like I said earlier about passage in Ezekiel 36, how it clearly says the Father will do this, sprinkle clean water on you, transform you, cleanse you from your sin." There's also a passage that's probably, maybe you might have it memorized, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. It's basically a foreshadowing of the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judea, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt by covenant, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So again, we see the same thing in Ezekiel. 
This is another There's other passages as well, but this one, you see it one, two, three, four, five times. I will, the Father, I will. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will uh, make the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So to me, yeah, we read this, because if you're born again, you can see this clearly. And we have the whole uh, canon in our hands, thankfully. We can see this clearly points to the Father's work within us, not something we do. It's really pinpointing our pride. I'd say, I mean, it just this passage uh, has impacted my heart so much this week as I went through it. Because um, the, the eternal significance of this is so huge for each one of you. So going on in verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Going on, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Nicodemus didn't really understand the one must be born again, earthly things. So being a born again is on earth, earthly things. It's a very elementary thing to know. You should have known that. The heavenly things is that the consummated kingdom and what it's like to be a citizens of heaven. So Jesus is saying, how can you who are not born again, this is the earthly thing I'm trying to tell you, how are you going to understand if I tell you even more about the kingdom of God, that which will come? So no one can ascend. No one has ascended in verse thirteen. No one has ascended into heaven except the one he who had descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, "I'm the one standing right in front of you. I'm the one, the only one who descended from heaven. I know the heavenly things. I'm the one who proclaims the truth. Listen to me." He wanted to make that very clear, and I think he did. So at this point, Nicodemus is probably wondering, "Okay, be born again. It's not." A physical birth. Apparently it's something that uh, must be done to me. So Jesus, to make an example of this, there's many examples in the Scriptures. I'm not necessarily sure and nobody I've read seems to know why. Jesus uh, uh, seemed to uh, pick this uh, passage that Moses lift up his servant in the wilderness. Uh, he must, the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. It's actually quoting uh, back to the passage of Numbers 21, 4 through 9. So just to get context, I'll read uh, starting in verse 4 in Numbers 21. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why, do you, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have taken, spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So the bronze snake was to give new physical life to the people of Israel when they were bitten in the plague of snakes in judgment, in God's judgment towards them. God showed much grace when they looked at him, because Moses lifted up the bronze snake, so just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake, so Jesus will be lifted up. He's for he's basically portraying what's going to happen in the future in Numbers. 
And then so was Jesus lifted up on the cross to pay the debt of sin. So Jesus is seen as the one who all are saved throughout the book of John. The gate, the door, we see this in John throughout the whole chapter of 10. It's very clear. Jesus is the gate, the door. So you look in Numbers 21. So if they looked upon the serpent, they would live. They would be healed from the snake bite, the judgment of God. So that's why Moses put on the serpent and lifted it up. So summarizing what um, happened here between the exchange, there's really the most exchange that happens between Jesus and Nicodemus is the first 15 verses. And then they think the verses 16 through 21 is this John uh, discourse uh, afterwards. So summarizing, one cannot enter the enter or see Jesus clearly unless one is born of God. From the new heart given by the Father through the Spirit, one will respond in faith to Jesus. There is no room or rejection of that. To me, I can see clearly through this passage, there's no way to reject one that can be born of God. In that instant, you are justified, redeemed, empowered by the Holy Spirit to love the things you once hated. So I know this passage has caught it a lot of it causes a lot of uh, tension amongst many people um, in the church as well amongst de- denominations, etc. But to me, this passage clearly says, and throughout looking at the whole Bible, the Father does a work by the Holy Spirit to redeem you, cause you to be reborn, and see. It's like glasses, okay? I can put glasses on. But really, technically, only the Holy Spirit can make me see. It's like the lens. You put the lens on. I can't see without Him doing it. So one would say on our Armenian view, so I have an opportunity. God does a work in my heart, but I have an opportunity to reject it. Well, I would say, clearly from this passage, you can't reject it. And if you want to talk more about that later, we can discuss afterwards. So what happened to Nicodemus? You might be wondering, so Nicodemus... Jesus kind of left him there, questioning, okay, I must be born again, but I have no clue what that means. But we see later, uh, Nicodemus' change of heart, maybe. We don't know necessarily if he was a believer or not, but in John 7, 50-52, we read Nicodemus, who had gone to to him before, so the situation where the Pharisees are talking amongst themselves what to do with Jesus. Um. And who was with one of them said to them, so Nicodemus said, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Then everybody else replied to Nicodemus, are you from Galilee too? So they're almost like demoralizing the guy because he's trying to defend them. Let's at least give this guy a fair trial. Um, Search and see that no prophet rises from Galilee, the other Pharisees said. So Nicodemus is mentioned later also in in, uh, John uh, 1938-40, where he helped Joseph Arimathea to bury Jesus. And it says this, After these things, Joseph, uh, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the blood of Jesus, and uh, the body, not blood, sorry, body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who early had come to Jesus, by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So Nicodemus is seen defending Jesus amongst his pals, his pharisaical pals, and also he's seen actually helping him take him off the cross. So do we know he's born again? We don't. But at least there's, there's some view of, there's at least a softening of the heart there, if nothing else. 
So in light of that, uh, we can actually, so there's a verse that's probably quoted, you probably memorized this as a child, in verse uh, 16, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is a judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. At least his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God." So really, it goes back again. So one would say from different, somebody would go about saying it differently than I would. So say, well, it says right here, Garrett, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Doesn't that just disprove me? No. It clearly says, you look right before this, that you must be born again. <laughs> I mean, this is, the Bible's really, you don't have to be a, a theologian to understand this. God has made this clearly. If you're born again, you can see this. So whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So yes, God loves the world. Now this brings up a lot of stuff that we don't have time to talk about, election, etc. But yes, he loves everyone. But he loves you enough to give you exactly what your nature deserves. You're born in iniquity. What's that deserved? Separation from God. Right? So whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So yes, whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Because who did the work? The Holy Spirit did. Because it says in 17, So for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So that kind of sounds odd. So Jesus didn't condemn the world. No, He didn't need to condemn the world. The world was already condemned when He showed up. They were already condemned. The Savior showed up. And those who believe will not be condemned. So in 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. It says right there, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Which it says what I just said. Because he is not believing his name, the only Son of God. And this is a judgment, like I read earlier. The light has come into the world, Jesus. The people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. So my question is, how can an evil person, if you don't believe this, how can an evil person out of their evilness, choose God without the work of God in their life. To me, that's unknowledgeable. I just can't see that in the Scriptures. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Least his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's the key here. His works have been carried out in God. Because that's who did it. I know um, you might be asking, okay, Garrett, so if I'm not born again, how do I know that? If you believe upon Jesus, I would say you're born again. The Scripture clearly teaches that. You can't have false faith. Uh, a lot of people saw Jesus do miracles, give Him food. They're like, oh, I love Jesus now. He gives me stuff. Give me more of that, Jesus. But no, and Jesus convicts you of your sin. I think a lot of times we see the effects of regeneration, the effects of being born again, and we think that happened after faith. I think that's what happens a lot in the church. I think I saw that too early in life. I was confused. 
well, I have faith, I said this, I believe this, so I must be born again. But life change, like I said earlier, those illustrations, once you hoard after evil things, you loved it, but now you despise it. Life change. So, to, to wrap this up a little bit, uh, my, I myself, so I think it's, it's hard too to, to see this when uh, one has grown up in a Christian home, uh, gone to church your whole life, it might be not know, well, I don't have that one point, Garrett, where I can see that clear transformation time period, which is fine. Um, some will, some won't. But there is one point in your life that did happen. You might not know exactly when. I can't even tell you when. That happened in my life. But I can tell you when I grew up in the church, a uh, very large Southern Baptist church in Kansas, uh, where they did altar calls. So when you're about six, seven, it was kind of the normal thing to do to walk up to the front under music, everybody standing up looking at you. So you walk up there, uh, the, the pastor prays. I can't, I'm not going to say you can't be saved this way because God can work through any evil means that he necessarily wants to and transform that to his good. But what happened to me came forward, the preacher prayed with me, do you believe this, this, and this, and this? And I'm like, sure, yeah, it saves me. Why not? And then uh, I remember standing up front. I don't remember everything. I remember his little card. He just checked the boxes, my name and stuff put me up for uh, baptism that following Sunday. But uh, I do remember sitting at the front, everybody just handshaking me. Garrett, what a great decision you made. Garrett, what a great decision you made over and over again. I was like, wow, wow. I made a great decision. This must be good. A seven-year-old, I mean, I thought I was, I was doing well then. God can still use that. I think he did. He showed a lot of common grace towards me um, through that. But then later in college, so I grew up, uh, of course, uh, later in college, Went to Kansas State University. It's the same place I moved to fraternity. Uh, before that, I got involved with a campus ministry um, called the Navigators where I was in a Bible study. The first time I remember reading the Gospel of Mark and just like, wow, my eyes were open. This is Jesus. This is who I should live. This is, I mean, this is first off, this is me, the sinner. This is Jesus this is who saved me. Wow, I can be redeemed through him. I mean, his, my eyes were opened. So somehow... I believe either it's proclaimed to you through a person using the word, through the word, or you read the word. Somehow this word goes in your head, you're renewed, your heart's renewed, and you're born again. That has to happen somehow. So later on um, through that, that's why I think God transformed my life. That's why I wanted to proclaim Jesus uh, in college. That's why I moved into fraternity like that. Well, what would drive a man to do something like that? Then I'd say Jesus is the only one. I could drive a man to do that because it was rough. But, yeah, so that's my transformational life. You might have something similar, or you might say, well, I, I believe when I was a child. That could happen. And if you're in a faithful household, God used the word, the, the gospel claim through your parents. Your kids could be saved at a very young age. Very young age. So I hope through all this, um, you are encouraged. That's why um, the last point is rejoice if you do have faith. Because you can rejoicefully read John 3.16 and know whoever believes in him is saved. If you believe you are saved, you are born again. So there's much to rejoice there. Much to rejoice. So just in the encouragement, um, I want to say, uh, quote a few different passages. John 1.12-13 but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
who are born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So born of God, who did receive him. Or in John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So again, born of the Father. So I encourage you, uh, if you're maybe in a position where, Garrett, I don't know if I'm born again, what do I do? Well, cry out to God that he would save you. So when I hear testimonies, I want to hear testimonies of people saying, well, God saved me. It's true. That's what the scriptures say. God saved you. If you have faith, it's because God transformed your heart so you can believe, which is great. There's nothing on us. It's the Father working by the power of the Holy Spirit. So walk away encouraged if you do believe. Otherwise, um, I would, it, it should drive you to your knees. You should be convicted and you should be driving you to your knees in prayer either way. So let's pray and uh, let's do this. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray your word would penetrate the hearts of the people in this room. That they would see the truthfulness of it or be encouraged by it. That uh, you'd use it to either save those uh, in this room or encourage them to do great things for you. That they would continue to desire after you and not that which is of the world. I pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.